0: Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Reya. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues.
1: This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Reya. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour.
0: Welcome to Jazz Shapers. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul, and blues. My guest today, the very last business shaper of this season, is Nils Leonard, advertising and design industry innovator and the co-founder of Uncommon, a creative brand building studio. He's also the co-founder of Halo, makers of home-compostable coffee pots. After falling in love with cinema adverts as a child because, as he says, they were weird and didn't have storylines, but they just moved you, Nils saw advertising as an escape and chose to apply for summer work in the industry rather than to university. He went on to spend over 18 years in the most recognised influential advertising and design agencies in London, including as Chief Creative Officer of Grey London, where he oversaw the most profitable award-bestowed years in the agency's history. He became one of the youngest agency chairmen in the world, leading its brands globally and locally. But cynical and weary of what he felt were unoriginal ideas, Neil sought to create more purposeful projects – He left the company in 2016 with colleagues Lucy Jameson and Natalie Graham, and together they co-founded Uncommon, a creative studio building brands that make positive and national impact, such as delivering an anti-racism advert for ITV and helping create BrewDog's idea to mass-produce free hand sanitizer in its distillery. It's really good to have you on the programme. It's the last one of this series, so we're going to go out with a bang, not a whimper. Uh, It doesn't say that anywhere, but apparently that must be happening, Nils, because you're here. Tell me what it means to make stuff. I've read a fair bit about Uncommon. I've read a fair bit about the number of awards you've won, the accolades across the industry not just in this country but internationally, an extraordinary thing has happened over the last few years you've become relatively famous and I say that I don't mean that in a disparaging way famous probably beyond the industry itself. So what is it to make stuff? Let's start there.
2: Well, thanks for having me first of all. It's brilliant to be on. I've always believed that that making things is powerful. I have a strange relationship with dependency but you'd be surprised how many creatives agencies studios they'll have an idea and the very first thing they'll say is well who should we get to make this for us and um it always struck me as if you have that immediately sort of dependent relationship on putting things out there there's just a barrier to reality you know someone said the difference between a, a you know a good idea and a brilliant one is it's very very simple it's reality did it actually happen and um, I, I sort of just thought to myself, well, God, wouldn't it be brilliant to be in the world putting things out there that might become reference points? A gentleman once asked me a question, really, that is behind all of this, which was, how do we go from being, he, he was a client and he was trying to entice me with a pitch, you know, which is what you do and try and excite the creatives so they work their asses off. And he said, uh, how do we go from being a brand that, that sells stuff to people to being a brand that people wish existed? I thought that was a really powerful question. I sat there and burnt myself on his pitch and worked my ass off. And then I stopped and I thought, well, hang on a minute. How do I? Never mind you. You know, name an agency that the real world is glad exists. We're in the queue for hell with lawyers and estate agents. And so I was moved by that. And I thought to do that, to be alongside the Pixar's and, and, you know, name any other company that the real world is glad exists. We had to be additive. We had to be positively impactful, place things into the world that were remarkable, needed, wanted, referred to. And so really, that's where our obsession comes from. And we try to do that in as many guises as possible, really.
0: To be discontinuous in the world of advertising or in the world of anything, actually, for you to say, I want to create a product which is as good as Netflix and Pixar, that takes some doing. The three of you all came from the world of advertising. Is it that you simply say, the take on the industry was wrong, we've always believed in something else? Or was it deeper than that did you have to say if we were to going to create something if we are going to create a brand called uncommon what does that look like I'm just trying to ascertain how much of a distance it was from your past life because advertising people are masterful at repositioning what is actually exactly the same thing yeah you're absolutely. have right. you done that or is there a bit more depth No, you,
2: th- that's right there are two answers to your question though it's a kind of question of two parts I thought one is you'd be so surprised how many agencies and, and studios don't have their own brand so despite the fact we walk into every room telling everyone what to do with theirs, you suddenly look back and you kinda of go, Well, what are you? Just a homogenous bunch of people with a kind of logo on the door that you didn't make probably, you inherited from a network. So actually I've always found that to be to be frustrating and annoying and kind of, you know, a catalyst for what we're doing. Um one of the only agencies previously to have done that was BBH, of course, you know, and I thought to myself, well, they're onto something there with their take on the world, and I wanted on common to have its own viewpoint, regardless of any brand that we work with. The other answer to your question is advertising at its best at its best very rarely does speak to people and move things forward it changes things it challenges our view or our behaviors or it places something into the world that means we're all more aware of an issue and really at its best when we make things that are more than just a film or or whatever it genuinely is additive in that there are reference points in culture that people refer to and go god i remember that that opened my eyes to you know a certain issue so a great example of that in the past is the paralympics campaign from channel four We'll all remember that, right? Meet the superhumans. And I'll eulogize that bit of work all day because it didn't just say, which every campaign around disability had said before, it didn't just say, these people are as good as you are. It says, these people are better. (laughs) You know, and and so the insight alone puts the hairs up on your arms. But then that piece of work attached a hip hop track, attached an energy and a sex actually to the whole thing which no one had ever seen. And I think that genuinely just changed perceptions of, of disability and that whole world. And, and so you look at that, and you look at some of the bits we'd done previously at Gray with my other co-founders, and we sort of said, look, at our best, we can do that stuff. So what if all we did was that stuff? And it doesn't all have to be world-saving or, you know, um, attached to the climate or whatever, but we do look for, for something to be positively impactful. We prioritize those projects and brands.
0: In fact, one of my favorite campaigns ever that superhumans one it was Public Enemy, but originally Shirley Bassett with Jezahel. There you go if you knew that because I looked back and said that's an amazing track you've run a lot of stuff, nils over the years you've had these really big corporate jobs and you've moved into them from the craft skill of being a designer up to the lofty heights of being a chair and all the management stuff that comes with it. Did you always eventually want to run your own gig, whatever that was? I know you've had another you had another couple of interests on the side but this is feels like the most meaty real business that you've created was it in you and if so why do you think
2: yeah i did i mean i I spent years at gray which was the network agency that i was running alongside a couple of others basically kidding myself that that was mine too i think any successful business there has to be a level of personal investment i i've never you just can't go and do a job if you want to run something very special in my experience is what i've realized and what i realized at gray was that that it was mine apart from twice a year when we had to report the numbers and they had to tell me who I had to fire or not. And it was mine until I wanted them to invest in things that weren't the day job. And then suddenly, of course, cynicism comes knocking and and all those other things start, you know, putting an itch up your back. And I started to go, hang on a minute, this isn't mine, is it? I forgot. And so I had to go off and do that. But, you know, I wasn't sat going, I'm a natural born entrepreneur. I just can see a gap or could see a gap and thought, I'm very passionate about that you know, mm. um, and, and thought that that should exist.
0: Is it hard, though, when your brain is wired to see the gaps, to make stuff, to visualize? And that's what creative people do, whatever walk of life. You know, creative people are not just officially creative people. There's creative people everywhere, and I get to meet tons of them in all sorts of different guises. But at the heart of a creative person is frustration, is vision, is why is there any gestation between the idea and it happening in the real world? As an entrepreneur and running a business, you've got the P&L. You've got the toilet paper to buy. You've got the rent to pay. You've got a whole bunch of other stuff. Have you found people that take away some of that? And I'd, by, I'd, by the way, I don't demean any of those things. They're critical. You know, the, the properly important, the mundane is really important in running a business. But for you personally, have you managed to find joy in some of those things you probably didn't think you would?
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, you're right. The mundane is kryptonite to a, a new idea. You're absolutely right. You know, it's brilliant for a week and then suddenly, oh, we have to do this. Um, have you ever thought about that theory of why everyone has all these great ideas and, and they kind of half make them happen and they don't make all of them happen? I had an idea a bit like that years ago for an outdoor brand. I won't say what it was. It was a, it was a concept. It was absolutely brilliant. It definitely should exist. And then I realized I don't want to wake up every day and just sell picnic blankets. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's what it is. You actually have to love doing it so much that you can face down the emails every day because you're believing in something bigger. So, yeah, that that is right. I mean, I love the subject matter of creativity. I think so many people talk about it with fragility and this sort of moustache twirling sort of nonsense. And I've always believed that the most creative people are in essentially responders to frustration or to a crisis. All the companies we eulogize, all the entrepreneurs we love come from a place of, I really hated how that was, (laughs) you know, so I wanted to put a dent in it or change it or move it forwards, or wire things like that. And I think that as long as you've got that nugget, that garlic in the sauce, then I think you'll get through stuff. You know, the trick is keeping it. That's the trick at this point, I think, and the trick at any point in a business.
0: Stay with me to find out if Nils Leonard is happy with keeping the trick, the the, the garlic, as he says, that's going to be in the sauce. He's coming up again in a, in a few more minutes. But right now we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions. They can be found on all of the major podcast platforms. Mishcon Derez, Martha Averley and Matt Robinson talk about equality, diversity, and inclusion with regard to recruitment and how employers can recruit in a fair but diverse way.
1: Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. Even if a business is acting with noble aims in terms of trying to recruit in a diverse and inclusive way, it may still be acting unlawfully by acting outside the limits set out in the Equality Act 2010. Matt, do you have any practical steps employers can take to recruit in an inclusive but lawful way?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the first one, which I think is something that people have been doing for a while now, is to try and use blind recruitment strategies. Studies show unconscious bias towards particular names and, you know, people going to certain universities or schools. Now, obviously, this is something that's easier to do at the beginning stages in terms of sifting CVs. But you can also look at early stage interviews in large recruitment processes where you send candidates written questions, for example then as the process develops into face-to-face calls and meetings, you know, obviously it's not possible to continue that. But the idea is that by that point, you will have broadened out the diversity of the pool of candidates in the later stages of the process. Another example is unconscious bias training. Now, obviously, there has been some recent negative press around unconscious bias training. I know the government don't seem to appreciate it, but I think, What it can help people realise is that we all have biases and there is concern and evidence that people often want to recruit in their own image. And when your existing workforce isn't diverse in the first place, then that lack of diversity is perpetuated. So, you know, whilst it is difficult to apply in practice, I think if you ensure that people involved in these recruitment processes or promotion decisions are aware of their biases it may increase the diversity of the candidates that are ultimately selected
1: the mishcon academy digital sessions to access advice for businesses that is regularly updated please visit mishcon.com jazz shapers on jazz fm in partnership with mishcon d'orea it's business but it's personal
0: All my former business shapers are available to join you this summer on the Jazz Shapers podcast, and indeed you can hear this very program again. Or if you've got a smart speaker, you can ask it to play Jazz Shapers, and there you'll find many of our recent shows. But back to today's guest, it's Nils Leonard, advertising and design guru, and more recently the founder of Uncommon, a creative brand building studio and co-founder of Halo, makers of the home compostable coffee pods. So part of the shtick of uncommon is to as as I mentioned earlier and you responded to, it, it's to make stuff. And I, I love your articulation of, you know, the creativity, the responders to stuff that isn't working, something, you know, the problem to fix, as it were, to the frustration. Tell me about these products that you're getting behind and these these ventures and where does that fit in the in the global domination plans for Niels Leonard et al.
2: Well, there are lots and lots of new products, new brands all day, every day coming out some of them are good and and the majority of them are a lot like other ones they're the same and it dawned on us that we wanted to come from a different place every time a far more motivated place there's a quote from death of a salesman by arthur miller which is i'm not interested in stories about the past or any crap of that kind the woods are burning that's always struck me as a brilliant quote for our industry but for creativity in general the idea that the woods are burning i mean has there never been a more tender time to be a human being you know, ecologically, politically, the whole thing. And we look for and are drawn to the woods burning in every scenario. And we look for how we can positively impact on it. So an example of that for H&M recently, you know, global clothing retailer. We looked at it and we said, look, during the pandemic, you know, we were given a brief around men. And we realized that actually more men, particularly of a certain age, were out of work than ever before. And then it's not a level playing field. So we created something called the one second suit for them where you can rent a suit for 24 hours for free uh, if you have an interview. You know, and those things aren't, we're not suggesting these things are, you know, going to solve the whole world's problems. But I do know that I'd rather a brand existed that did that than didn't. And I do think that that will be a reference point for other brands if we're talking about the future of clothing rental as opposed to purchase, you know, and the circular economy in that sense.
0: I saw it on the tube, actually, it was, and it was intriguing. It was kind of, and I, and, and I watch when I'm on the tube whether people are looking, because often ads are just wallpaper, and they were actually looking and reading, which was kind of fascinating to me. Can I ask you a question about the team that you've built? Because obviously, back to the Pixar analogy, and being able to, you know, you look around and you go, we can make it. We don't need anyone else to make it. How have you managed to find the right people? Have they come from your old world? Have they come from a bit of that and a new world? And if so, where?
2: Yeah, a bit of a mix. I mean... I want to want people, not need them. So we still use external partners. We'll still use a director or we'll use whatever, but we'll use the best-in-class ones. You know, as opposed to most agencies, I think you go, we just need somebody who does everything. You know, if we want to make an edit, I need someone. If I want to make a presentation, I need somebody. You'd be surprised the level of dependency in all these companies. So we, we essentially started a Hollywood model, which was a black book of, you know, makers of all sorts, be it 3D modeling, be it voice, be it, you know, low-cost film work experienced product design. You know, we've done it all. We made a hairdryer that looked like Piers Morgan. You know, I'll explain a bit bit more about that later. But when you want to get into that stuff, you you want to build a retinue of people that you know you can trust and count on. And it dawned on us that if we had the right relationships with those people, we only brought them work that was going to matter and was going to be famous, then we'd be able to ensure their loyalty and their time. So that's sort of how we work.
0: Your own style, Nils, and what you bring to the party. So I imagine that obviously the ideas... There's a primacy of ideas, and the currency you deal in is is ideas. It's in making it a reality. It's in bringing people with you. How have you developed your own style of leadership through this period where it's actually your own shop? But I imagine you also want people to feel part of it because, as you said, it was almost yours, and then you remember twice a year it wasn't. How have you made sure that those people don't feel like that?
2: Yeah, I think we all start out, maybe, or I certainly did, trying to be clever believing that that being intelligent and trying to make the right decision would draw people to you and and make a company go okay i once had a conversation with a gentleman called robert savile who started and runs mother the other creative shop um and he very kindly told me the difference between the things that he'd read of mine or or that i'd said that were good and the difference between the ones that were rubbish was that when i was good i was speaking to talent. So I wasn't trying to impress clients. I wasn't trying to speak to, you know, the intelligence of brand building as a massive theory. He was like, when you're natural and it comes out of you and you are just talking directly to talent and believing that they, like you, just want to get out of bed in the morning for something bigger, that's when you're good. And I thought to myself, okay, I've got to stop trying to be someone else.
0: So how do you do that? Just give me a quick example of talking to talent rather than talking to theory. Okay,
2: so you talk to, you know, Does anybody get up in the morning and want to go and sell cheese in a banner ad? No one ever wrote that on their gravestone. No one ever wrote to their mum and said, I've done that. They want to get out in the morning and try and be additive and matter in the world, no matter what you do. Even if your day job isn't that currently, that is why you would want to get out of bed. Uncommon, our entire ethos is about trying to build a brand that people wish existed. Would you like to contribute to that? Do you believe that creativity can move things forward? Do you believe that your ideas might matter in the world and become a reference point? If that's what you're interested in, come work here.
0: And in terms of the gene pool that you've then created around you, does it matter what kind of person can respond to that? Is there a type or is it broader than that?
2: No, uh, yeah, sort of. Or there's a state. There's not a type of person. There's a lot of very different people. But most people who come here are frustrated. So they're either frustrated with how the industry has treated them. They're frustrated that they haven't been able to, you know, translate their ambitions in their careers so far. We attract a lot of people who have a chip on their shoulder. And I like that. Because really, the energy it takes to do what we do, I would argue, demands a certain level. And I think you can only have that level if you're driven by something. You know, I I don't think that comfort actually breeds creativity. I've never believed that. I think the, the most impactful people in the world are driven by something, let's be honest, darker. You know, be it being overlooked or revenge or frustration or even fear. You know, are you afraid of where you started that you'll end up there? All these things, they tend to be common themes of the people that we work with here. Um, certainly a common theme in me and I think if you share those values with people you'd be surprised how little you have to say you know you just give them a look and they know and you all know
0: you looked menacing then final chat coming up we didn't really final chat coming up with my business shaper today it's Nils Leonard and we've got a serious touch of magic from the one and only Herbie Hancock that's in just a minute don't go anywhere
1: jazz shapers on jazz fm in partnership with Mishkondorea it's business but it's personal
0: Nils then, is my business shaper just for a few more minutes and we've we've talked about all sorts of stuff I've read that your own background Nils was I think you may have described it as rough as council estate and all that and I've met a lot of people on this program that say I never want to go back there you kind of touched on it before you sort of said people might be driven by a number of things one of them might be fear is that still something that drives you every day that sense of the future can't be what my past was
2: it's a bit of that I mean that's a I had a loving family, and I don't want to dismiss the entire thing as, as, um, you know, something I'm running from or something. But I think we are driven by stuff, you know, sometimes. And I, geographically, and the sort of life we were leading, and the level of frustration I saw in my family, you know, from our circumstances, I just wanted to fix that, like any child does. Desperately, desperately wanted to sort that out, and couldn't. And I saw the nature of being powerless. I saw... You know, my mother in particular was like, you know, none of our family have ever gone to uni. And she just didn't know what she didn't know, man. You know, and how do you teach your kids confidence and and a path and progress and stuff if you just don't know it? And she was trying. She was kind of going, God, it could be all out there for you. But I remember looking at that just thinking, well, that's the thing to put a dent in for me personally. I've got to find a way to not end up back here. People have patterns, don't they? And I sort of thought, I don't want to run from the whole thing. I don't want to run from the graft and the support but I don't want to end up back there. And, you know, a bit of that does drive me. I saw a a really weird Western. This is the way I view it, though. There was a Western where, you know, classic brother died situation in a Western. His brother gets killed. And instead of just going in on a revenge story to go and revenge his brother, to remind him that his brother's been killed, he pulls his brother around in a coffin tied to his ankle for the entire movie. (laughs) Now, I'm like, that's sort of how people feel, I think, about stuff like that, whatever your stuff is. It comes with you and it can either pull you back, I suppose, or it can it can project you and I'm hoping it's the latter.
0: And I imagine if you're metaphorically pulling the coffin around, that means you never get comfortable because as you said, is the that's the enemy of creativity as well. It's the enemy of doing well probably in life if you yeah. suddenly go, I've arrived. How do you ensure beyond metaphorically pulling the coffin around that no one around you in Uncommon gets comfortable?
2: I think you just, I mean, look, I, I don't want to say that my management style is driving people into their demons (laughs) to succeed it's not it's not that but i think there's a larger mission which is that that that's my stuff and that's behind me and that's where i've come from but the place we're headed is important as well and powerful and may not happen the jeopardy of a future you haven't made yet is a powerful motivator and so i'm looking at it going well guys we have this dream of uncommon and you have this dream of you as a part of it and we might not make it so if you really believe in what we're trying to do here and you really believe in your part of it then we've got to really go at this and that spirit is very evident here even three years in you know and that's evident in the partnerships we create too our clients feel the same by the way this isn't just our talent you know we tend not to work with clients who who want you know a one percent uplift or a, or a whatever they tend to come going i've read that thing i feel like you we need wholesale change or we are going to die and
0: those tend to be our ideal clients Listen, good luck with the wholesale change, both the continuous wholesale change of uh, Uncommon and of your clients' businesses and of making, as you said, a dent and an impact in the world. It's a brilliant objective. I hope you can continue to get there. Great talking to you. Just before I let you disappear, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it?
2: It's Ted Hawkins' Sorry You're Sick. It's a track I love. All I'd like to say about it is it's incredibly dark, but like the best, best songs or the best writing... He leverages it in a way that's absolutely palatable for everybody. But when you get under the skin of it, even it's sort of joyous chorus and you hear his voice strain, you're like, oh, it's a story about someone who's going to die. And he just wants to get him some booze and fill up their belly with it. And it's a story about family, I think, and love and uh, tragedy. But it's, it's just brilliant. He's also ferociously repetitive. Doesn't give you anything. No space. Just goes at it. It's the equivalent of shutting the laptop at the end of the track. Thank you. Out. Bang. And you're just, I just think you're left with it, man. And second time round in the chorus, I think that's where the peak hairs on your arms moment happens. It might just be me, but you're like, oh, he means that He's going again.
0: That was Ted Hawkins with Sorry You're Sick, the song choice of my business shaper today, Nils Leonard. He talked about the creative disposition being a sense of being a responder to frustration. He talked about the woods are burning, the Arthur Miller quote and how true that is in literal and metaphorical terms for all sorts of problems that we face right now. And finally, and really beautifully and eloquently talked about, the jeopardy of a future you haven't yet made is a huge motivator. It's what keeps him going. It's what keeps Uncommon going. Fantastic stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Be well
1: and have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.